I really didn't appreciate how absurd it must feel to be a small business owner right now until I spoke to Eric Williams. He owns a boutique on the south side of Chicago, a city that has been slowly, week by week, shutting itself down, going into a kind of coronavirus hibernation. I was noticing how just over the last week, the restrictions kind of ticked up a bit. And all of a sudden, a business like yours, I think you're limited to 25% of capacity. Is that right? Technically, yes. So what does that even look like? Like, is someone sitting there with a counter in front of the store? Is there a line? Uh, so here's here's the real answer. So in the city of Chicago, as a retailer, we don't get uh, occupancy placards. Eric's store, it's called The Silver Room. It sells books, sunglasses, bags, and jewelry. The placards are only for um, restaurants and hospitality. So as a retailer, technically, I don't even know what my occupancy even is. I don't know what, what it actually even is. So to say 25% means of, of what? Is it 30 people? Is it 50 people? I have no idea. Um, now, the state regulation says something different. It says it's five people per 1,000 square feet. So that you can actually kind of figure out what, you know, what, uh, what, what that would look like. And for us, that's around eight people. Um, does that include our employees? Does that include you know, X, Y, and Z? So the mayor came by the store yesterday. <laughs> was, I saw your Instagram. Yeah, so that was, that was completely like a, a surprise. When she came in yesterday, she had, it was her, it was uh, a camera person, it was a staff member, and two security folks. So that's like five, six people right there. And then we had- You were like, we're full. <laughs> exactly. And then we had three or four staff in there and I happened to walk in. There's another five, six people in the store. So it was probably 15 people. I'm like, oh, she hasn't shut me down. Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, she was visiting the Silver Room to try to encourage city residents to shop at Black-owned businesses the day after Thanksgiving, in spite of COVID. She's calling the effort Black Shop Friday. All over the country, Mayors like Lightfoot are doing this funny two-step, telling citizens to stay home, advising them to restrict travel, but also urging them to go outside just enough to keep stores like Eric's going, especially around the holidays. And I have friends of mine who some support her, some, some don't support her, and it's both sides. You know, Some believe we should have even more stringent um, restrictions. We should go back to, to phase three, which means everybody stay home. You know, and some believe that we shouldn't have a lockdown at all. We should just let people go out, you know, and, and shop. Eric says, good people can disagree about the right thing to do about the coronavirus right now. How rigid to be. Sometimes he disagrees with himself. But what no one can disagree with is the calendar. He has got five weeks to keep his business in the black. And this year won't look like any that have come before. We usually do anywhere between 20 to 30% of our business uh, in the 30 days before Christmas. I mean, it's crucial. It's a very critical time because you had a horrible year and you have this 30 days to redeem yourself uh, between now and, 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 and Christmas. Today on the show, the coronavirus has turned small businesses like Eric's inside out. But he's hoping a year of crisis might still turn into a year of opportunity. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. 
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think when you hear the words small business here in the U.S., they can be a kind of code that stands in for other ideas like Main Street, Apple Pie, the American Dream. And to really get Eric Williams' perspective on how COVID's impacting people like him, you need to know that the idea of a small business owner as an anchor of the community, it infuses everything he does. So I grew up, you know, my first job, I was seven, eight years old, cleaning up in in my father's bar. But I remember the joy that people got from coming into this space, you know, um, sitting at the bar, talking to their friends. And so when I opened up this space, I didn't want it to just be a space that was just retail. So it could be a place for activism, a place for, you know, to do good for society. This idea of being uh, a capitalist doesn't have to be a, a, a bad thing, you know. If you walk into the Silver Room, that store Eric's operated for more than 20 years, you can get all kinds of stuff. T-shirts and mugs, onesies for babies, everything carefully curated. But Eric thinks of his store as an extension of his dad's watering hole a place folks can feel relaxed and connected. Inherently, it's a retail store, but it's also a cultural place. Sometimes it's a place of fashion shows. We have, we've had book discussions there. We've had uh, art openings. We have, you know, turntables in the store so folks can DJ. You know, folks would just come in the store and vent like it's a bar sometimes. <laughs> you know, I remember the other day I was in a store and this customer I know, again, I've been open for 23 years, so some of these people are like family to me, you know? And she was in, I said, hey, how you doing? And she was like, eh, you know, I'm all right. You know, and I knew it was the weight of the world was weighing on her, you know, between everything that's, that's going on. And so I put on the same song uh, from Annie. You know, I said, hey, this song is for you. So I just played, the sun will come out to my home. <laughs> and so she started singing a song and she just started dancing. And like, you know, tomorrow she sang so. All the customers started singing this song. Tomorrow's only a day away. Everybody started clapping, you know? So that was just like a moment that I, I see, this is what this space can do. And she was like, thank you so much. I needed that. And, you know, she walked out, didn't buy anything. But I know that's a moment that she'll never forget. So for me, that's what I want to do with this space is to bring joy to people. You sound like the kind of guy who has business plans. <laughs> you know, I, I do, but I always keep things pretty organic and fluid. So I don't really get too upset when things don't always go the way I planned. Of course, no one (laughs) planned on COVID. When the first wave of COVID struck in Chicago, I wonder what it meant for your business. Like, was it immediately a break and you had to shut everything down and just totally reassess? Well, I think like most people, I had no idea how long it would last. You know, I'm watching Meet the Press and they're saying, oh, a couple weeks. You know, I didn't know it was going to be this long, obviously. So I thought maybe this would last two weeks, four weeks, we shut down and we, we reopened, you know. But very quickly, I realized this is going to be a lot longer. So I said, let me take this time rather than just kind of sitting around. I actually did a remodel on my store. Something you might not have had time for otherwise. I, I would not have had time for it for sure, because to close your store, you know, in the middle of the summer, that just can't happen. I'm wondering when you began to feel 
financial pressure around COVID creep into your business? I mean, it, it, was, it was several points. Um, I had just spent a bunch of money uh, trying to order stuff for the store. And obviously, if I had known that, I wouldn't have ordered all the stuff. I'm like, okay, this is tens of thousands of dollars that I probably could have just held on to. Um, and then once I realized I had to furlough everybody, you know, a lot of these, these folks, they're young, they're artists, and all, they don't, they're not making tons of money anyway. You know, and, and to know that they were going to not make any money, it was, that was the toughest part for me, honestly. It must have been so hard to go to that store and just have like boxes of stuff, but then have to say to folks like, I'm sorry, I can't pay you for a little while. Yeah. And then, and then not knowing how long that would be, you know, luckily, you know, the employees, they all understood, you know, it was a tough time. I mean, personally trying to navigate stuff. I'm, you know, I filled out all kinds of applications. I did get PPP, which was actually very helpful. Um, I got, oh, and so my landlords, uh, they're the University of Chicago. And I was actually lucky to have a university be my landlord. So they actually uh, forgave my rent for three months, which was great. Uh, wow. So yeah, so I actually you know, was able to kind of just make it through. Part of how Eric made it through was by transitioning his business online. He had meant to do this for years. It just never seemed necessary. And then 2020 happened. He kept on his manager and his marketing and social media person. And while, of course, they got product up on their site. I would say equally important, it was about being a resource for the community. So what how, What did that mean? Like, what did you put on there that wouldn't be on like a typical store site like Amazon? Uh, I mean, keeping people's spirits up, posting like like comedians and like funny jokes and like memes, being a resource, meaning links for because a lot of our folks in our community you know they are they're self-employed and they're 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 artists so just links of where you can get you know resources as an artist applying for grants food banks you know just any kind of resource that people who are out of work were looking for and we started this like weekly check-in with everybody like a zoom call check-in we would just go online and say anybody wants to come on and and say what's on your mind. anyone in the community anybody in the community yeah you can come on and see how you're feeling like what's bothering you and you know, how are you holding up and just all those things. And people just really, really appreciated that. So I think that. What are those meetups like? Like, what is the, is there one meetup where you felt like, oh man, I'm so glad we do this? All of them. I'm a softie, you know, so I'm always like, you know, emotional when you see people saying just thank you. You know, like I haven't had any, any contact, even though this isn't human contact, just to be able to share my story about how I'm out of work and I can't face my family uh, knowing that I don't have money to pay for, for food next week. And a woman went on and said that, how she didn't have any money and she didn't, she couldn't pay for food for her daughter, you know. And from that, folks on the Zoom call donated money to her, you know. And she didn't, she wasn't even asking for it, but, you know, she was just telling us a story. You know, so again, just still being a resource and knowing that this community came together to help this woman out who had nothing because some people on the call were actually doing okay, you know. You're so glass half full, but I wonder if you ever get frustrated with the fact that, like, you, community business owner, are arranging the place where that woman who can't feed her kids is getting some relief. Uh, no, I don't, honestly. I mean, I feel grateful that we have a platform to help other people, honestly. So it's not really frustration. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that this, this, this retail space, that could just be a regular retail space. You know, I, I don't have to do any other stuff, honestly. We could just... Here's a bracelet. Here you go. You know, 
that could have been the business model, you know, but that's not what this is. Um, if there was some frustration, yes. I mean, the dynamics of, of, a, of a system that doesn't work for a lot of people, yes. I mean, that's, that's a whole other conversation, you know. But I think for me, it's important to talk to people, especially in our community, and say, you know what? We can't always change this system, you know, overnight especially, but what can we do as a people? You know, and here's what I can do. You know, this retail store can be this one thing. So your talent, oh, what can you do? How can we work together? So that's kind of like the way I look at things. After the break, how Eric's decision to center his community paid off, even in the middle of a pandemic. And once we reopened, honestly, we've never been busier. I have, I have, my, I have my, my busiest three months in July, August, September, in 23 years. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Some people say, There are actually two pandemics happening in America right now. One is a virus. The other expresses itself in periodic viral videos of Black people being killed by police. Eric Williams says this was the summer that those pandemics collided. I think that intersection is what actually in some ways helped us. Um, It was a very emotional summer, as you know. I mean, the reaction to the George Floyd uh, murder as you know, there was looting around the city, around the country, actually. We opened up two weeks later. So when we reopened, it, things had kind of died down a little bit. And everyone came in the store was like, we're so glad that you didn't get looted, number one. We're so glad you're here. We need you. And people would come in the store and say, is this a Black-owned store? Or those that didn't know us? And we say, yeah. You know what? And they just started buying stuff. They would start buying stuff. And our online store did really well because we were you know, linked to so many different like buy black initiatives and not just black folks, all folks, they were supporting black businesses. And I was so shocked. I was happily shocked that people understood this connection between economics and our culture and, and everything else that goes along with violence and educational system. And folks were actually making that connection, I think, in a way they hadn't before. Um, so when we reopened, we were just been, we were busy, like just nonstop. And we still are busy, honestly. You have such an interesting perspective. You're a small business owner who clearly saw the looting and were like, oh, please, please, not my store. But at the same time, it sounds like to me you're very much invested in Black Lives Matter and everything that sort of went around with the protests. So I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. Sure, sure. I mean, as I move forward with this business, we've definitely become more of an activist space for a lot of people, you know, and a lot of the, the folks are younger and my employees are younger. And so, yeah, I do understand the response to the George Floyd murder. 
you know, and with a lot of the uh, violence to property, especially on the South side, a lot of my friends were like, ah, burn it down. We don't own it. And I said, okay, yeah, yeah, we don't own this Walgreens, right? But your grandmother has some medical issues. She used to go to this Walgreens to get her medication. Now she can't do that. The next day after the looting, the line at the Walgreens, well, first of all, the one Walgreens hmm. store, it was gone. And so all these people were coming to the door to get their medication and they couldn't. And this lady said, what am I going to do? It was an older black lady. She said, what am I going to do? You know, so I think about the stories, not just what happens, but what happens to people's lives after this happens. And that's what's more important to me. And it's, it's complicated. And I wonder if you worry, too, that the Black-owned businesses in your community might be disproportionately affected by whatever happens, by any property damage that goes down. Of course. I mean, you know, black and brown folks and folks don't have money are always going to be disproportionately affected by anything that happens. So I I read somewhere they said up to half of black owned businesses won't survive the next six months. This is now, you know, between COVID, between the looting. I I know a woman, she got, so she had COVID, you know, so she had shut down. Then she got looted and then she opened up. She got looted again. She opened up and then she had to shut down because of COVID again. I mean, that's almost impossible to to survive. And when you live in a community that we don't have extensive resources anyway, you can't get necessarily like bank loans or you have the aunt or uncle who can loan you, you know, $200,000 just to kind of, you know, make it through the summer. If you don't have that, there's just no way. And, And as you know, once one thing leaves, two things leaves, it's like an avalanche of just businesses just being decimated. I mean, there's commercial corridors in Chicago 71st Street, uh, parts of Englewood, that never recovered from from the, the uprisings of the 60s and 70s, to this day, still. And you have a few businesses on there, uh, on these streets, and now they are broken into, and, and now they're gone, and now what? There's no incentive for a business to, to, to open again in the, these neighborhoods. So that's my fear. And for those who don't want to open, they don't have an excuse. Uh, you know, I would love to open this neighborhood, but, you know, it's too much violence. So that's kind of what I see right now. And the city doesn't have any money and they you know, they do what they can, but it's really up to us to kind of change, change the narrative. And uh, the way things are right now is just going to be a little tough. You've described, it's almost a bittersweet experience of 2020 where there were these closures and right now Chicago's like locked down pretty tight. You're worried about people's health, but it seems to me like you feel like your work as a pillar of the community is more essential now, and you've definitely benefited from attention to Black-owned businesses in the wake of the George Floyd murder. I wonder I wonder if you look at the conversation about businesses, like which businesses should close, which should stay open, whether it's fair. I wonder if you look at that conversation and you think it just doesn't accurately represent the experience you or other business owners are having. For sure. So I think about this term, essential, right? So we say we keep the essential businesses open. But I would argue that liquor stores are necessarily essential. I mean, some some might argue that they are. You know, people talk about schools being closed as opposed to other places being closed. But I'm happy that as a retailer, I'm still open, especially during this time, you know, uh, right before Christmas. I feel so bad for my restaurant friends, especially in Chicago, you know, who don't have the ability to have outdoor dining 
you know, November through March, basically. Like, what are they going to do? Hmm. I feel like the people in your city, the mayor, and then also the governor, they're concerned about what's about to happen in Chicago. You know, the mayor specifically said, like, please just stay in your house basically for 30 days. Do not travel for Thanksgiving. If you could somehow keep paying your employees and keep, you know, keep your store open online, basically shut your business down, do you feel like you would do it? Um, I mean, part of me says yes. That's the easy answer to say financially, if I could just shut down and pay everybody. Yeah. But I know there's more to this, this, this space than just me selling stuff. And that goes back to what I talked about before. It's the spirit of, of, this, of, of this place. And so I think the hopefulness people need in this space, I wouldn't want that to go away, to be honest with you. You know, the store next door to us went out of business, actually. Uh, a, a month or so ago and I heard this lady walk up and she saw the sign going out of business so she thought it was us and she was like oh my gosh <laughs> and I, I was standing in front of the store and I'm, she goes I said no 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 it's not us it's them. she was like oh I don't know what I would do if you closed down I don't know what I would do you know and again like could she buy stuff other places of course she could buy some other places but there was something about our store that meant so much to her that I know I have to be there for other people Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, thanks Thanks a lot. Eric Williams is the owner of The Silver Room in Chicago. Before we go, last week I asked all of you to call in and tell me how you were planning to celebrate this very strange Thanksgiving. And you know what? You had some pretty good ideas. Hi, Mary. You had asked how my family is going to spend Thanksgiving this year. Um, we're fortunate that we're able to spend it the same way we do every year, and that is a camping trip in Death Valley National Park. Hi, I'm calling from Connecticut. I have told my children and my parents and my sisters and brothers, people that I usually get together with, that I've lived for 64 Thanksgivings, and I will have some more Thanksgivings after this one. But I'm going to survive and just stay home. We live on a farm, and uh, for Halloween, we decorated the barn and uh, had a socially distanced uh, dinner over there with about seven family members. So for Thanksgiving, we're going to do the same thing. Uh, we're going to do individual uh, church pot pies so that uh, you know we're not sharing uh, utensils or anything like that. Hey, Mary. My name's Stu. I've been wanting to just kind of stay home for years, and now I have the opportunity to do that and not feel guilty about it. It's kind of great. So I'm literally doing nothing for the holidays. I'm going nowhere, I'm seeing no one, and it's going to be fantastic. Be like Stu. Make yourself an individual pot pie and treat yourself. Whatever you're doing tomorrow, have a great turkey day. That is the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Elena Schwartz, and Danielle Hewitt. We are super lucky to have Franny Kelly on the team right now. This week and every week, we are grateful for our bosses, Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. And I'm Mary Harris. The whole team is taking a couple days off for the holiday. But if you can't get enough What Next, go find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. It is my first year roasting a turkey. You can follow right along. No matter what, I will catch you back here in this feed next week. <laughs> 